The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. In case you don't know me, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Temple Bible Church. So glad to be with you guys. Uh, a couple of reminders. Uh, a lot of things going on, a crazy day, a fun day, excitement all around. We got uh, the week of prayer. Uh, if you didn't notice or hear it in the, in the announcements, we have uh, chalk at the front door and the back. We'd love for you to take some time even today on your way out to write a prayer outside, not on the inside floor, but preferably outside the parking lot. Uh, write a prayer, just a Thanksgiving or something out in the parking lot. You can come up throughout the week. Uh, just a really great picture opportunity uh, for people to be encouraged and challenged as well. Uh, another thing going on today is baptism. Uh, we have uh, four o'clock today. We have about t- 10 or so people getting baptized. Uh, so that's exciting. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, that is amazing. I mean, it's so exciting to see uh, kids, especially young people, uh, stepping forward and making their faith public. Um, also, we have our first day of training for impact. Our youth are coming together, about 100 students coming together to be discipled and trained uh, in the gospel to share it all over our community. So it's, and it's just good stuff happening. I'm just having a hard time controlling myself today. I don't know why, but... Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 16 this morning, wrapping up our series, 1 Corinthians, looking at a picture of community. Over the past 28 weeks, we've spent pouring into this book, almost half a year, looking at 1 Corinthians. We've been pushed, prodded, encouraged on many topics. We've looked at the gospel, leadership, a firm foundation, specific sins in our lives, marriage, idolatry, being a good neighbor, order of worship, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, love, resurrection power, and victory over death. Those are the few of the many topics we've covered over this past half a year or so. And uh, over the past weekend, I've kind of had some time to reflect on the resurrection power and things like that and seeing families, individuals post pictures uh, about things, you know, that they've been into and family pictures, individual pictures. And oftentimes uh, it's difficult, right, to get a good picture. This family thought they were just kind of a good old time swinging their kids around. Hope that kid was okay. Um, uh, We got another one. Uh, You don't quite end up how you planned. Uh, actually, he looks like he belongs in the movie Elf. But uh, what else we got? There's another one in here. Looks like one of my boys or me as a kid. Uh, and then the last one is personal. Uh, that one is actually my family circa like 1991 or 92. I don't know when my sisters are wearing like doilies around their neck. I'm not sure what that is. But uh, that's me right behind my dad trying to figure out how I got in this weird family Um, But when we think of pictures, that often happens when we try to get pictures with our family, our kids, and it just looks messed up. And it's kind of funny because some of us post the cleaned up stuff, but as our family, oftentimes we just post the messed up stuff because that's more uh, typical for what's going on in our lives. But for us, uh, as we think about a picture of community, oftentimes the church, when it is meant to represent Jesus, looks more like those pictures, It's just jacked up, messed up. And there's some authenticity that's good, but representing Jesus in community is important and valuable. And sometimes we give the wrong picture 
of what it should look like to follow Christ. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. We look at Paul's instructions here. In this final chapter, in chapter 16, Paul kind of gives this peace out message, like I'm out of here, Corinthians, I've left you with a lot of instructions, and here we go, I'm gonna give you some final ones. And some of this passage seems a little disjointed, like Paul just threw some stuff in here, here and there, but we need to understand that Paul is wiser than that, a lot smarter than I am, and Paul included these things for a reason. So we don't just skip over this chapter, but we really need to dive in and to see what are his parting instructions, this picture of community he's calling for. So he's piggybacking off of uh, some of his instruction and his powerful discourse on the resurrection in chapter 15. Of course, it's important for us to remember that chapter breaks weren't in Paul's letter. So this isn't like a break and then he's moving on. This is continuing from what he talked about in 15. Look at verse 58 of, 58 of chapter 15. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What is this coming off of? This is coming off of what Chase talked about last week, Easter Sunday, the power over death. Jesus' power over death, victory over death, and as a result of victory over death, now we have the opportunity to be a community that lives for God and points others to God, being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So here's his instructions going into 16. He gives us three things to kind of think about and pour into our lives. Sharing our goods, sharing life, and sharing love. Spending a few minutes with our small group's pastor, David Richardson, just a few, and you'll get his heart and his passion and our church's passion for community. And you'll see how important that is because as a church, we have core values. And one of the main core values that draws us together is community. So it's important for us to see this picture of community that Paul gives. And so the first thing we need to think about is Paul states that a beautiful picture of community involves giving, sharing your goods. Look at verse, uh, verse one through four. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those who you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So Paul shows the importance of giving. And if you do a simple study, a word study in scripture uh, about different elements and different uh, characteristics and different actions that we can take, giving actually is mentioned more than love itself. So when it comes to giving, and some people are like, I hate the church, it's always talking about giving. Well, it's not this church. We don't do that a lot. Actually, we probably could do it more. Because the emphasis that's placed on giving is powerful and it's in your face. And Paul here is encouraging the church of Corinth to think this way. So we have to understand what was happening, what he's talking about here in these four verses. There was a famine taking place in Jerusalem. And this church in Jerusalem was suffering because of this famine. And so Paul is calling out this church to say, I want you to specifically put aside money for this church to encourage them. 
Now, it goes deeper than that because this church in Jerusalem was made up of former Jews, people that came out of Judaism and came to Christ. And so this was a lot of Jewish believers, and this church of Corinth was full of Gentile believers. So in society back then, for you to, number one, just be associated with a Jew or a Gentile together was unheard of, but to actually save some of your money and your things and give it to them was kind of stepping out of line in a lot of society back then. And so it's important for us to see what Paul is really asking them to do. This is sacrificial living at its finest. But it's also important for for us to understand what he's saying and can apply it to our lives as well is that he's not saying, oh, you guys think about them and whatever's left over after you pay all the bills, uh, go ahead and give it to them, right? What does he say? He says, I want you to set aside first. I want you to set this aside for them before you pay the bills, before you buy the food, before you go out to eat again. I don't know if they went out to eat back then, but I'm just talking about us. Uh, But anyway, so the idea that we're setting this aside, we are intentional with our giving, not just whatever is left over. Paul is challenging the Corinthian believers to live as a new justice-filled community that will take things that aren't right and make them right. Now, oftentimes when people hear the word justice, for some, there's lots of reasons where history, that tends to lead people in a negative direction and they kind of shut off when they hear the word justice. And it's because it's been abused over the years and it's even been abused by the church over the years and done wrong. But the reality is justice is simply making things right that are wrong, helping to make straight what is crooked. And so in this area of justice, we have the opportunity because of how we've been blessed to make things right where we see them going wrong. Pastor and author Stephen Um describes this new community this way. He says, a community that will look at the plight of the poor and say not your problem, but our problem. A community that will look at the distressed of the oppressed and say, what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. A community of reconciliation animated by the spirit of a resurrected God is who is making all things right. So it's a community that's going out of its way to make things right. And sometimes that's in monetary form. Sometimes that's in the form of your time and your energy and your service and your sweat. Sometimes it's in the form of a conversation. Sometimes it's in the form of taking somebody in. It can be lots of forms. But Paul's encouraging them and us as well to be all about this giving. So what does it look like here at TBC? This living in community and giving well, as a local outreach pastor, I get to brag on you guys. I've never been a part of a more generous body in my life. It's so fun to watch and be a part of these things. I just grabbed a few pictures just to illustrate some of the gifts that you've personally given as a church. You look at these gifts for our gift drive. That's just some of the gifts that you guys donated. Uh, next up, uh, let's see what else we got. We got a simple gift, a man that makes custom furniture for a living. He heard about a family that was eating at their kitchen counter. He told me, hey, what's the space? Go measure for me. I'll make a table. And I got to deliver that to that family. out and clean. Here's our high school pastor giving uh, snacks and Chick-fil-A boxes to uh, medical workers in our community. We also have uh, another picture here of my office. Now, uh, I think my wife's in here and anytime she goes in my office, she starts twitching and needs some medication uh, because this is how I operate. 
But for me, this is exciting. For some of you, it might be depressing and you want to have an intervention. But uh, on the left, you'll see banners that are going, that are going out to assisted living homes. And, and the boxes all around are, represent an assisted living home that has hygiene items. Uh, they have hand sanitizer, candy, all these different things and represented in those boxes, all provided by you guys, the church. Uh, what else we have there? We got a few other things. Early in the pandemic, um, bringing snacks to local HEBs and Walmarts and caring for the employees there uh, with my goofy kids and their friends in the back of my truck. Uh, what else we have? Uh, we have little TV trays because in assisted living homes, uh, many people relied on community happening at meals and they were stuck in their rooms. So you guys provided trays that we were able to deliver uh, to those in need at the assisted living home so they could have something to eat on. So uh, food drive, that represents family upon family, over 50 families that you donated, donated food for locally. It's just amazing to see the generosity of the body fulfilled just like we're seeing here in 1 Corinthians 16. But also globally, we can think about that as well. And again, from the announcements we saw, ways you can be involved, go on the hub for the city, can show you ways you can be generous with your time and resources. But globally as well, supporting and encouraging those who are serving full-time. We're able to see these things taking place. We have three different focus areas, which is uh, the UAE, Rwanda, and Ukraine. Our pastor of uh, global outreach, Brandon Brewer, shared this insight when he was thinking about these verses. He says, we believe the whole church shares the whole gospel with the whole world. We're all involved in missions, and for most of us in this room, it's talking to our neighbor, praying for the world, and sacrificially giving time and money for the kingdom. You know, one of the things that drew me to TBC, first and foremost, as a, and our family, was we found out when we interviewed that 20% of the money that's given to this church off the top goes straight to missions, to global outreach, 20%. I don't know about you, but that's a crazy number if you look at our budget. And you see that those goes to support people globally and it's following through again with what Paul asked to put money aside and support. Ways you can be involved there are getting prayer cards from Brandon Brewer, our pastor has prayer cards where you can read them as a family at dinner time. Uh, ways to get uh, the monthly email, supporting monthly those who are going. We've had plenty of families on the stage and individuals heading out this year being able to be generous that way. So there's lots of ways to share your stuff. If you want to know more, have a meeting with me. Give me an email. I can tell you all the ways I can give your money and stuff away. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing to watch, and it's great to picture of community. But secondly, Paul also illustrates uh, that a compelling picture of community, it makes a habit of sharing life, not just sharing your goods. Look at verse 5. It says, I'll visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries." So when I was reading this, I was thinking about our lives. Our lives are filled with passing moments, right? 
Especially in the pandemic, some of you have enjoyed the passing moments where you don't have to actually sit down and talk with people and visit with them because you get a little nervous of what they're going to ask you and what you might say. But in reality, we're meant to do a little more than that. And oftentimes we set our lives up where it's just a passing moment with someone instead of really getting into their lives. So you do things like this. Hey, how's it going? And then you keep walking, right? I know I've done this many times because I'm a horrible listener. Hopefully I'll get better at it. But uh, when I ask a question, I actually don't listen for the response very well. And I kind of try to move on to whatever it is I wanted to say, right? And here we're being challenged to think about, wait, These shouldn't be passing moments. Paul is actually desiring to spend time with them and to be in their lives. It's kind of an interjection here, though, in verse 9. Look at what he says as part of this sharing life. He says, a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. That's kind of interesting. When you pray about doing something, the potential to do something or serve God in some way, or help somebody in some way, or share the gospel. Um, You pray, and oftentimes we pray for an open door, right? And we pray for God's leading and God's direction, but oftentimes when we experience problems, and we experience adversaries, and rejection, and pain, and embarrassment, and our pride being hurt, what do we do? Ah, it must not be from God, right? I'm encountering some resistance here. Well, that must be not not what God had for me. (laughs) But when Paul's illustrating, it's the opposite. That what we're called to do, what we're pushed to do, what we're shoved to do by God, oftentimes is painful. Oftentimes brings hurt. Oftentimes is inconvenient. And Paul is saying a wide open door had been given to him and there are adversaries. He doesn't just say adversaries, does he? What does he say? Many. It's not just one guy talking trash to him and saying stay where you're at. It's many people opposing him and these adversaries actually wanted to kill him. (laughs) But Paul still saw it as an open door. It reminds me of Jesus. I was reading this story uh, about Lazarus the other day. And we're doing a little reading plan with my buddy in Rwanda, Eric. And uh, we're running through the Gospels. And, and I read the story of Lazarus where Jesus uh, has to go. He hears about Lazarus being sick. And the people, the disciples with him are like, uh, hey, Jesus, isn't that where uh, they already tried to kill you? They picked up stones to throw at you. Why are you going back there? And Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, he's like, I'm good. I'm fine. I got this. It's all right. So he was stepping into something that was difficult and potentially life-threatening. And this is what we're called to. We're called to things that are difficult. When we share life, it's going to be difficult. When we get in people's lives, it's going to be painful and annoying. But that's what we're called to do. If we're going to be a picture of community to the unbelieving world, we need to take seriously the challenge to be in each other's lives on a deep level. Sometimes that means saying no to stuff, extra activities that you want to do. But if it takes you away from community, sometimes that just needs to be, no, we're not doing that. We're going to be in community together. 
We're not going to put community on the back burner, do all of our activities. Again, going back to the first four verses and giving, relate here as well. We just give our community whatever we have left of our energy. But no, it needs to be a priority in our lives. He talks about sacrificial living, and that's one of the core values, living life on mission, surrendering, not just inquiring about how each other are doing, but actively going deeper. Being able to be in people's lives where you just know they're having a rough day and that you can do something about it. You don't even have to ask. That's how deep we can go in community. Don't be a person like I am sometimes. I don't know about you. I'm just preaching to myself here a lot of the times. I say something like this. I hear someone having a rough day or a rough time. Someone's, you know, going in the hospital, spouse having surgery, whatever. And I say to them this. Let me know how I can help. Does that sound bad? On the surface, it doesn't, right? It makes me sound like a good guy. Let me know. How many people that are going through crisis and difficulty and pain and a rough time really are going to take the time to map out three ways Lee can help him out this week? Lee, you can just write it down. I'm not going to think through that if I'm going through a rough time. I don't have time for that. So maybe we need to just say instead, hey, I'm going through this tough time. I can put myself in your shoes maybe and see what I might need and just go do it for the person. Quit using this statement as a cop-out. I know I use it as a cop-out. Let me know. Well, they never told me. They never told me how I could help them, so I guess they're good. No, they're not good. They need you. They need their community. They need you to be alongside them in this journey. Stephen Um, he again gives some insights here on doing justice through friendship. He says, when the poor aren't just a concept but are our friends, when we know their dreams and their stories because we do life together, it makes it much harder to keep our stuff to ourselves. It's a lot easier to hold tight to our stuff when we don't know people that are in need and we don't put ourselves in the path of people who are in need. But when we become friends and exchange a relationship, it's much harder to be selfish. It's much harder to hold on to our things. So he throws in verse 10, 11. It's kind of an interesting part of this community. He talks about Timothy. Verse 10, he says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with his brothers. He has a passion for Timothy. This is like his son in the faith. And so he remembers that the Corinthians, back if you look back at chapter 4, the Corinthians really gave Paul a hard time. They were judging him and like putting him in his place, saying he was doing things that weren't good. And so Paul's like, hey, I know how you treated me. How about you take care of Timothy a little better than you did me? And he even goes a little bit, this verse reminds me of 1 Timothy 4.12 that's so powerful for you young people out there. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Here's Paul challenging Timothy. So you think about this passage here, and it kind of gives us maybe a, just a little side encouragement to really get behind young people who are passionate about doing something for Jesus. This little logo called to play, some of our UMHP students are familiar with this because it was started by freshmen at UMHP. Uh, TJ 
Alex, uh, Emily had a part in that, and then Quentin. Uh, these guys and girls seven, eight years ago, I don't even know how long it was, but it's a ministry that uses sports as an outreach in East Temple in, over in Canyon Creek. It's, it's been happening in Belton at different times, and it's an outreach, but it's kind of interesting that it popped in my head as I'm reading this because TJ and these guys come to me all this time ago, it's over five years now, and they share their passion as freshmen to really reach the community with the gospel through sports. And of course, I'm excited about that, but these are freshmen, right? In our minds as adults, sometimes we're like, ah, what do you know, right? No offense to freshmen over there, I'm sorry, but uh, I know I was treated that way too when I was a freshman or worse. But the idea is this, if we as a staff are like, ah, that's real nice, but I want you to just settle down a little bit, take some time to learn in the background, and we'll bring you in and you can get your ministry going, right? We would have been missing out on the last five, six years of amazing ministry that happened, but as a result of encouraging them, like this church had the opportunity to encourage Timothy, there's some amazing things happening in our community through sports, through UMHB students, and through these leaders. So don't discount the youth. They have a powerful thing going on, and oftentimes God uses youth to really bring transformation to communities. If you look at the history of revival in the world, Lastly, Paul states that a lasting picture of community has at its foundation sharing love with others. Not just sharing goods, not just sharing life, but sharing love. Paul gives these final instructions. I don't know about you, if you've had opportunity to give anybody final instructions or word of encouragement before they go out. Some of you as parents, your kids have gone off to kindergarten, you're like, all right, don't pick your nose and throw it at anybody, or uh, don't do this, or don't do what you usually do. Pretend like you're a good kid, uh, whatever it is. Uh, Maybe adults that uh, have instructed their kids in different ways, older siblings giving instructions. We got uh, employers giving instructions, uh, residents getting instructed by their doctors over them. Lots of instructions going on, right? Well, Paul chooses to do it this way. He gives these powerful short commands. Look at verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. We could spend weeks and weeks on this, these two verses alone. We don't have time for that, but it's important to look at these specific instructions. The first half of these instructions are these little short ones He says, be watchful. Brings to mind 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Stand firm. This is staying true to the core doctrines of Christianity, not letting yourself being washed back and forth by the wave of different doctrines and different opinions that come up. He says in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's important to know where our battle lies, right? It's not against just other people and other things, but more importantly, what is it? It's not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this world. We fight an enemy that we can't see. That's why we need to be standing firm. And he says, act like men. This is a weird one. I've even seen a conference, I've been to a conference that had that as a title. Now, when he says act like men, he's not calling you to masculinity, He's not calling you to that. That's not what's happening here. He's actually speaking of maturity and growth. Now, it's interesting that he uses men to speak of, um, that's a different topic, but uh, anyway, what he's calling us to is similar to 1 Corinthians 13, 11. 
If you look at that love chapter, what does he say? When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. What he's saying to them in these final instructions is saying, grow up. Be mature in your faith. Quit getting bogged down by these little things and backbiting and people who are gossiping about you and grow up and be above it. And grow in your faith and be mature and handle things differently. And lastly, he says, be strong. Paul finishes the the book of Ephesians in a similar fashion. This is how he challenges the church at Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then the second half of his instructions is one little statement. Let all that you do be done in love. We can do all these things, but if we don't have love, like the chapter says in 13, all we are is like a sounding gong, a symbol that's annoying because we do all these things, but we don't have love behind it. I remember sitting in Gary, our our former pastor's uh, hospital room two days before he passed away. And he brought us in as a staff. A bunch of us pastors came in his room and just were encouraged by him. He was able to speak life over us, uh, just talk to us and hearing him, even in his weak state, the, the thing that sticks out to me the most that he said in his final instructions were serving and loving. Those words fine. final words wasn't about what he was going through wasn't about what the what has happened with his life and his family and all these things that are good but it was just encouraging his pastors his fellow pastors to serve and to love others and this is what Paul's doing here he's pushing us to see that we can live out a paradox this paradox of strength and love usually we have one or the other Usually you're just really strong and you're obnoxious and annoying or you're loving and maybe you sometimes can get pushed around. But instead, Paul's saying, combine the two, be strong, but do it out of love. So he finishes up with an example of, of refreshment, of being refreshing in verse 17 and 18 or actually 15, goes to 18. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. That's where we have the serving. Be subject to those as these, such as these and every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. Look at verse 18. They refreshed my spirit as well as yours, giving, rec- giving recognition to such people. I thought about, like, what refreshes you? <laughs> I thought about some of these things, speaking of Gary, bluebell ice cream, maybe a cold Dr. Pepper. Some of you don't see your refreshment on there. Maybe a margarita. I don't know what it is. For me, it's Italian water ice. That Rita's represents Italian ice. It's straight out of Philadelphia, and it's amazing. You get a somewhat version of it with Jeremiah's, but uh, not quite. I'm sorry. It's just second rate. No offense to people own Jeremiah's. Rita's is where it's at. I don't know why I just said that. Sorry, Jeremiah's. We go there all the time. My daughter has the card. We support you. Um, Anyway, um, where was I? Okay, so refreshment. So I think about refreshment, and you think about, of course, these are physical things, but Paul's saying these people, he mentioned them by name, refreshed his spirit. What does that look like for you, to refresh someone's spirit? 
And to be called to community, to share love in this way that's refreshing. I, I think about our family during Snowmageddon uh, not too long ago. It's so sunny out. Sometimes we, oh, can you forget that? I don't think so. But uh, we, we come to this place where we're out of power. We got four kids. We're huddled with 80 blankets. And we can't get warm. And we have a family that, that takes us in. And they not only took us in, but this was the Sewell's. And uh, Dr. Sewell's wife, Sarah, is amazing. He knows it. I don't even have to say it. He's over here. And he's just nodding his head in agreement. Because she went out of her way. I should have gotten a picture. She made like a care basket for us and made sure the fridge was stocked with things our kids like to eat and just went over and above to the point that Candace is like, I don't want to leave. You know, I just want to live here, you know? But it's like, that's what we needed in that moment. We needed to be refreshed. And this person stepped in and refreshed our spirits. And many of you did that for friends as well. And many of you maybe experienced that. And that's a great example of how we can be the church to share love. An impactful picture of community is refreshing. So as we wrap this up, I was thinking about the challenges we face in being a picture of community. What does it look like and how difficult is it at times? There's a sermon I heard this week as I was traveling down to Burnett to watch my daughter uh, compete in track and district track. And my wife's like, you need to listen to this sermon. And anytime she tells me to listen to the sermon, I better do it because I know it's powerful and I need to hear it. So I'm going to listen to this sermon, and the pastor highlighted in an interview he heard one of the leaders of one of the fastest-growing Jesus movements in the world in house churches in Iran. This stat will blow your mind. You know that more Iranians have come to faith in the last 25 years than in the last 1,400 years? That God is doing something in the Middle East that will just blow your mind. It's just amazing to think about and to see what's happening. So one of these leaders of this church, this movement, he was asked about the Western church, which is us. He was asked what he thought about the Western church and what we're going through and what we're doing. And here's his convicting statement. He says this, it's like the West is under some kind of satanic lullaby. When I heard that, I almost drove my truck off the road because it was like, oh, punch in the gut. But truthful statement about us, me, you. The fact that we are in what he would call, call by observing on the outside a satanic lullaby. That we've allowed the things of this world, the cares of this world, the activities of this world, even the good things that aren't necessarily sinful, whether it's as a family getting involved in sports or dance or band or whatever it is we can pour our money into, right? Or other things like if we're older and empty nesters, you know, doing this, hiking or this thing, you know, motorcycles, I have no idea. You fill in the blank. But he starts describing the fact that we're just in this lullaby state, this sluggish, sleepish state where we're, we're just consumed by things and stuff and entertainment and social media and all this stuff has basically been our pacifier to put us to sleep. And his description hits us right in the heart because we all know that's often how we feel. 
We're living our lives from day to day to stuff to stuff, to activity to activity, to whatever season it is, whatever holiday it is, and we're asleep spiritually. And we need to wake up. We need to hear Paul's instruction to be firm, to be strong, to push ourselves, to be discipled, to submit to discipleship, to be humble, to let someone teach us and to push us into something deeper. And the challenge for us that I believe this pastor is giving us is to break out of our slumber, to wake up and become the picture of community the world needs to see. Stop letting the things put us to sleep. There's so many times where we might get excited about something, maybe excited about sharing our faith or excited about a ministry we want to be a part of, excited about serving somewhere, and maybe you did it with lots of power and energy before, but now something or someone or I don't know what has come along and been your little pacifier and said, you know what, settle down. Go back to sleep. It's okay, you don't have to get that excited. People don't wanna see you as crazy, right? Even here in worship, I heard some people like getting into it. I'm sure people around like, whoa, where am I? We gotta wake up. We gotta come out of our slumber and see that a picture of this type of gospel community is what people need to see. The world is going to hell. And we are sleepily watching it happen. And we as a church need to step up. I as a pastor need to step up to wake up. Three things that you can see on our way out. What can we do? What can we ask God? Maybe take a picture of it, write it down. I don't know what you need to do, but to remember this week. Number one, ask God to change our outlook to see the battle we are in. That it's not against flesh and blood. We're fighting against flesh and blood. We're wasting our punches. It's deeper than that. Number two, ask God to make us desperately hungry for his word. Without his word, without the foundation, then we're really just fighting with no energy, no juice. We need to fight with the power of the word just as Jesus did when he was tempted using scripture as our foundation. And number three, ask God to drive us to our knees in humble submission to Jesus. To submit to what he wants even when it's difficult, painful, annoying, and takes us out of our way and uses our resources up that we thought we were gonna use somewhere else. Let's pray. Dear God, powerful instructions you give us through Paul convicting things some of us might have a reaction of like you know what I enjoy sleep Lord some of us in this room have heard the call to wake up and pray that they will take these action steps in prayer to wake up and to be a picture of community that the world needs to see Empower us this week to do that, Lord. And for those that haven't submitted to you yet as their Savior, Lord, help them to take this time even as we worship to wrap things up, to recognize that you can give them new life through your son, Jesus, who conquered death. 
Lord, push us, change us, put us in tough spots where we just need to rely on you. We thank you for what you're going to do and continue to do through this church and this community. In your name we pray. Amen.